This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Well, today I'm going to do something a little bit different. A few years ago, when we were visiting the United States, my wife, Olga, gave her testimony at our Sunday school class, and we recorded it. For those of you who don't know, my wife was born in Leningrad, when St. Petersburg was called that back in the days of the Soviet Union. She came to the Lord through a very interesting series of events, and her testimony not only gives insight into her life, but also what life was like in the late 80s and early 90s when there was so much change going on in Russia and in the Soviet Union. So we hope you'll enjoy her testimony, the story of how God met her and called her, how he reached out to a young lady and her family in the midst of the collapse of an atheistic society. Hello, everyone. <laughs> it's good to see you again. <laughs> As usual, I'll try to be quick and not go too much into too many details that I love. <laughs> uh, well, Jeff asked me to share my testimony of how I came to Christ. Many of you know that I was born in Russia, in St. Petersburg, and I grew up in that country mostly. I was born in 1977, and when I was 14 years old, the Soviet Union fell apart. But I still wanted to, like, maybe start a little bit with the background of where I started. It was a godless society, as we know, especially to start with when the Bolsheviks first came to power in the first few years they have executed, along with just civilians, a lot of priests and monks and nuns. It was just a terrible massacre, really, like in the early 20s of just to annihilate the church. And then later they kind of basically reopened some of the churches and sent the KGB members there to watch who's going there. My mom, when she was a little girl, her grandmother, my grandfather's mother, took her to a church, and my mom mentioned it at her home, and her father told his mother that if she ever takes my mom to the church again, she's no longer his mother. So that was pretty serious. When me and my sister were born, my mom wanted to take us to a church to get baptized in an Orthodox church. And my grandfather basically said, do you want your husband to lose his job? My father was an officer in the army in the artillery department. So that was a, a big deal. You had to basically calculate your every step, what you do. And even though when I was born, things were already getting, it was not as hard as during Stalin's time, but you still had to be careful. And I mean, I didn't feel it so much, but there were sometimes these thoughts, these kind of comments that my grandparents would say, which make you kind of, you know, is that one? Like somebody is watching. So you kind of like grew up in this kind of area. Uh, when I was, you know, a girl, things started coming out about how Stalin was really terrible. Uh, we all thought that he was so wonderful. He won the Great Patriotic War. He was wonderful, but things started coming out of what he really did. 
were sending people to you know gulags and killing people and things like that and that was a big revelation you lived in a this kind of mind state that there is no individual everything you do you do for the state you strive for the good of the state and whether your own life is good or not so good it didn't really matter because you everything is for the state and when I say that it was a godless society, I don't necessarily mean that it was a moral society. Because, well, at least in the place where I was, morals were actually very high. There were certain things that were held as a very high standard. And because you, everything was done for the state, so you had to be a very a good citizen. Like, as long as you agreed with the doctrine and things like this, with the ideology and all of those kind of things, you had to follow certain moral rule and moral standard. And you didn't want to do something that would make you stand out. And uh, again, because everything was for the state, like if you did something shameful, you didn't only shame yourself, like you shamed your family, you shamed your school, you shamed your class, and everybody would be absolutely horrified by you, and they will let you know that you have shamed them. So those kind of things, kept a lot of people in line. And unfortunately, when the Soviet Union collapsed, when that kind of ideology was no longer banging on you, you were no longer responsible for others, you were now responsible for yourself, so things just exploded. Along with the ability to worship God and uh, know Him came the ability to be on the other side and do and be as lawless as you can be and not be responsible for it. So even though on the surface it kind of looked like, yeah, we got it all together, we have things you know, under control, we have a highly moral society. If you look at some of the movies they made at that time, they were good, clean family movies, really good and clean entertainment, which I still love watching today. But then under, just under the surface, it was just brewing for this little kind of shell to crack and then People who wanted to see God were able to do that, but people who wanted to seek their own advantage were also free to do so. So, as I said, you know, I grew up, my, my father was an officer. My grandfather had a very high clearance with the building, a submarine building institute. He was what they called um, a non-traveling guy. It means he could never leave Russia because he was on a very high clearance, kind of like people here who worked for military. The building and submarine building was mostly for the military. So he was into all of those things, a lot of counseling of people. So he was very hard communist. When the Soviet Union collapsed, though, he was one of the first to leave the party of the communists. <laughs> Every time you ask a question uh, about God, the answer was, well, there is no God. End of conversation. Move on. <laughs> uh, when I was a kid, you know, I really, as soon as I learned to read, I really loved reading, and I really liked, like, novel reading. A lot of books that I really liked reading was by this particular author, if I say his name correctly, Alexander Dumas. Is that how you pronounce his name? The French writer who wrote about musketeers and all kinds of three musketeers and all three musketeers was a big we all loved three musketeers we have a really good russian movie about three musketeers by the way <laughs> and i read a lot of his other works 
And, you know, since he is being who he is and where he is coming from, there's always this talk about church and going to church, you know, because it was part of their life then. And I was always very interested about that. And so I was about maybe 10 years old when somehow it wasn't like suddenly a clear conviction, but somehow I realized that I do believe in God. It was so gradual, I can't tell you one moment when I was like, oh, like a revelation. No, it was not. It was suddenly you kind of wake up and like, oh, I actually believe that he is. It was very natural for me suddenly to realize that he's there and basically saying, well, if he's not there, then nothing that I see around is also not here. Because for me, it just kind of meant, that, well, if he's not there, then this is not here either, but it is here. So the next question was, well, what do I do? <laughs> and of course, who is to tell me what do I do? I didn't really know what to do. We have a house in the country, and in that house back then, we had some icons that were preserved from before the revolution time. So I had this little icon that I tried to pray in front, didn't know what to say. Basically, I said, my prayer basically was, I don't know how to pray, so send me a prayer book. <laughs> that was my <laughs> prayer, <laughs> which lasts for about three days. <laughs> but then, you know, my father being a military guy was stationed. He used to be stationed in the far east near Mongolia. And because he was stationed in like very remote area between my parents and my grandparents, they made an arrangement that me and my sister would be raised in St. Petersburg and stay there, and my dad and my mom stayed in his base. So a lot of my early childhood and like elementary school and middle school, I only saw my mom for maybe like a few months a year, and my dad maybe two months a year. So in a way, it was hard. I mean, my grandparents were wonderful, and them being a grandparents, and we, of course, kind of suffered from being away from my parents. So my dad was uh, then later stationed in western Ukraine, like the very, very western Ukraine, which is right on the border with Hungary and um, Slovakia, Slovakia. And my mom, she was a kindergarten teacher. She went to work in a, just a local kindergarten. Well, Western Ukraine is very different from even Eastern Ukraine or the rest of the Ukraine, and of course, very different from Russia. That little town had Catholic Church, Greek Orthodox Church, Seventh-day Adventists, and all kinds of things. And you could see people, you could see like nuns walking, walking down the street, you could see people going in, in and out of churches. They were actually active churches. That was very surprising to me. I was like maybe 11 or 12 when that transition happened. And my mom's co-workers gave, me some, gave us some books to read. It was uh, Children, uh, The Life of Jesus Christ, like comics book, like The Life of Jesus Christ, very popular, and Children's Bible, which I read and loved. And I could tell that I believed everything that it said, but again, it didn't really tell me what I needed to do with all of that. Well, a couple of years later, my father was restationed to Eastern Germany which we all didn't want to go there for some reason. Everybody said we were crazy. But that was the time when my mom put her foot down and said, that's it, kids are going with us. We are taking them with us. And we did. We went and uh, like Russian army was actually put down. It was taking the troops out of Germany by then. But we ended up being there for about a year and a half. And about a year after we were there, we had some people come to our military base, and they called themselves evangelists. A little bit before that, a teacher in my school gave me a book to read. 
which was called Jesus is Your Destiny, written by American youth pastor. And I was very interested in that book, and I started reading that book. And I am a great reader. I love books. I can stay up with the book all night. <laughs> I have to be very careful at the books I choose to read because they just consume me. So what was interesting about that book is that I loved reading it, but I could not read it. I literally could not read that book. For one thing, it was a great effort to just pick it up and open it, which I never experienced with any book I read. If I managed to open it up, <laughs> I would read maybe one or two pages and close it and put it away. And I could not understand what was happening to me. I mean, I enjoyed that book a lot. And uh, I'm not the one who put down, to put down a book if I really enjoy it. I would sit across the room and look at that book on my bookshelf and physically not being able to get up and go and open it and start reading it. And I could not understand why. I was like, what's going on? Well, a little time after that, we have this group of people come and do a concert in our club in the military base. We had quite a few military bases in that town and around that town, and our commander was the only one who allowed them to come and do a concert. They called themselves evangelists. And they were all Russian people who immigrated to Germany and lived in Germany. I think, well, they were some kind of evangelical group. Maybe they were Baptists. Maybe they were Pentecostals. Maybe they were Pentecostals. The women wore, wore head coverings, which in Russia, in Pentecostal church, women do have to wear head coverings. So they came, and um, it was really amazing how they presented the gospel. I mean, they didn't really preach. They came and they said, this is who we are. We are evangelists. We are all people who came from Russia, and we now live in West, Western Germany. We believe that there is God. We believe that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. It was early December when they came, and they said in a few weeks, in like two or three weeks, we will celebrate what we call Christmas. And we believe that Christmas is the time when Jesus Christ was born. And we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And we just want to tell you about something we believe. And they did. And they didn't preach. They sang a lot of wonderful hymns. And one of them was, of course, Silent Night and others, they read some very beautiful pieces of poetry to us. There was one lady who read the story about how a leper met Jesus, and it was like a long piece of poetry. Like she recited this long, long piece about Jesus, this leper living outside of Jerusalem and his mother coming to him at night and bringing him food, and how he once met Jesus who was coming into Jerusalem and he got healed by Jesus. And I remember I was just enthralled by this. I was listening and sinking it all in. I loved it. They gave a few testimonies. A couple of men came up and said how God healed him of some something serious. I don't remember. It was something serious. My mom said it was the first time that she heard that God can heal people. At the end, they uh, gave, gave Bibles to the children. They gave some children Bibles along with some candies. They gave little like pamphlets, like little flyers, and they said, God bless you, and they left. But that was like really a turning point. They never really did any altar calls. They didn't ask anybody to repent. I mean, the club was full. Everybody who was not on duty at that point were, I mean, it was filled with officers and their families and the soldiers. But that was like really a turning point in my life when I finally met somebody who strongly believed in God. And I started reading those little flyers that they 
gave us, I started reading the Bible again. And that book that I could not read, that I had like read maybe just a little bit, I swallowed it in like a day. And I was like, why? Why couldn't I read it before this? And now, why can't I put it down now? And now looking back, I know why. Because he was spiritually dead. And when you're spiritually dead, you cannot do things that, you know, you don't have strength. It's like when Israel, before Jesus came, they wanted to do the right things, but they could not. Because they didn't have this indwelling spirit that was actually enabling them to do what God wanted them to do. Reading that book at that point was something God wanted me to do, but I didn't have anything in me to be able to do something as simple as that. I mean, how much more something much more harder than that? So, I mean, I read that book, loved it. I read all of those pamphlets, those flyers. That was like really probably, you know, how we talk about um, time of your first love, you know, how you are in the spirit of having your first love. That was really a time of having that first love with God because it was very special to me because um, I didn't have anybody to tell me what was right or what was wrong, you know, to teach me about the laws of God, what God desires, what He wants of us. But it was time when really God was teaching me Himself. You know, if you have a heart that wants to find God, He will make sure that you will find Him. You know, it's, it's all in the matter of the heart. I look back, there are some amazing things that happened between early December and then late February, we moved back to Russia. So in those less than three months, that was a time of amazing things that God has done for me. Old, it was early 90s. I was 14 years old. Yeah, less like yeah, like 10 years later, I was married to Mike. <laughs> yeah, just 10 years. Oh my. So, so I was. I remember I was reading about Jesus being the vine and us being the branches, and I was reading about how when every branch that doesn't bear fruit will be cut off and thrown to the fire. Oh, boy, I was so scared. <laughs> I was like, what if I am a branch that is already cut off and thrown into the fire? <laughs> and then I remember one night, I don't even remember what it was, but I suddenly had this revelation where basically God says, if you kind of, I don't remember even what, he said, if something, then you are not. But I basically realized that I'm not. That if I'm really wanting to be a branch that bears fruit, I will not be cut off. And I remember that was, that was a revelation. Here's a 14-year-old girl who is afraid that she's already thrown into the fire. And I remember I realized that she's not going to cut me off if I really want to bear fruit. Another thing that he did for me uh, that was really amazing is that I was always afraid of the dark. And my sister, too, and a lot of people could probably testify this. And a lot of people in Russia would say that as, when they were kids, they were afraid of the dark. Again, we have this house in the country. There is this corner there, which is always dark. If you don't open a certain door, it's always dark there. And basically, during the day, if I was passing by that part of the house, which had it was dark, even though I was kind of sort of in a sort of a light, I would try to run away from it and not see it. 
I mean, it was really a panic that would come up. We were still in Germany. Uh, we lived um, kind of in a communal flat where, you know, one flat is shared by two families. We go to the bathroom, we had to go into the hallway, and when everybody goes to bed, it's dark. You know, the hallway is dark. I had to open the door, and the switch was kind of on the other side of the door, so I had to kind of walk back and go to turn to the switch. And so if I had to get it out during the night or when after everybody went to sleep, I would kind of run to that switch and turn the light on. Oh, light. And there was this one night when I, uh, I had to get out and I could feel this panic, this fear coming on me. And um, a thought came to my mind. I have nothing to fear because God is with me. If, I, if God is with me, why should I be afraid of it? It was just a thought. It was not something spoken out loud. It was not anything proclaimed or prayed. It was just a thought that came to my mind. And the fear was afraid of me now. I mean, I could physically feel how that dark was now afraid of me and how the panic that I had, now that, now that fear had that panic and it ran away from me. I mean, I could physically experience their panic and running away. And I was never afraid of dark anymore. I mean, that was amazing how, again, you don't know. Nobody is there to teach you, but when you're really, truly looking for God, you will, He will come to you. Another thing that really happened to me then, which was also truly amazing, that really showed me His character to me by doing this. I was in bed. I was, back then, we, my family really liked to watch these scary movies at times. And I remembered one scary movie that I watched with them. I mean, we didn't even watch it that night. I just remembered it. And suddenly I was afraid. You know, I just, some memory from that movie, I suddenly was very afraid. And I remember I, you know, lying in bed, I, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I said it or maybe, again, I just thought it. But I asked God and Jesus, I said, would you please sit with me while I fall asleep? And he did. I mean, that was one of those things when probably all of you have experienced this tangible presence of God. I only experienced it once more after that, only one more time. But that was amazing how, I mean, I literally could swear if I moved my arm or hand, I would physically touch him. I knew that he was sitting on my bed with me. And I mean, that's, that's all I could think about then. I mean, I couldn't remember my fear anymore. I just was like... Yeah. You know, and that's those kind of things that, you know, you cannot mistake them. So that's why I kind of looked at that time, to those three months there of just really very, very special time when I knew that God heard me and he came to me and he answered me. There was one more thing that I was really struggling with at that point. I was reading some very interesting books at that time. Like I said, I was always a great reader. And I was reading uh, some, some books about some people who had these amazing, very interesting lives. And I could tell that they were not followers of God. They probably would say that they were, that, you know, kind of like, you know, because you were born in, in a Christian country, you're sort of a Christian by default. But I was really struggling because I wanted to have a very interesting life. And reading those books, I was like, well, these people have very interesting lives. And they don't follow God. So can I have a very interesting life and 
still follow God? I mean, I had no example of anybody who followed God and had an interesting life. So I was really struggling with this question. I mean, now that I knew that I believed in God, but I somehow realized that I have to make a decision, do I want to follow him all my life? Again, nobody taught me, but I kind of knew it in, in my heart that that's the decision before me. Do I want to dedicate my whole life to him and maybe have a very boring life? <laughs> or do I want to choose my own interesting life? And I remember I was praying. I was trying to pray like every night for maybe five minutes. And I, one, my prayer was, I said, God, I want every day of my life to be lived in such a way that every day would have something worth remembering. I wanted my life to be full of meaning. And I asked him for that, for like every day to have something, even if it's just a little thing. So those are the questions that I kind of, that I came back to Russia with. We, our, our base was taking out, was moving out of Germany, and my father finally was assigned to, not to St. Petersburg, but to the surrounding area where we could actually all go home. And my mom, you know, could now be with us, and we could be with my mom now. And that was the time when Russia opened up. So that was, so it was, I think, 92, no, 91, 91. And so it was that, that following December that, that people came to Germany, in Germany, we, we had this meeting in our base. And it was also November of that year when some of the people from here started going to St. Petersburg holding big crusade meetings in St. Petersburg. I was with my parents in Germany, my sister was back in St. Petersburg with my grandparents for different reasons. But I went to this meeting in early December. She went in November to the first crusade meeting in St. Petersburg. I got uh, an extra Bible for her from the people who were giving children Bible in Germany. She got a children Bible for me at that <laughs> meeting. Uh, when we came back early March, me and my sister had a gift for each other, and it was the same book. <laughs> so coming back home with these questions, do I really want to follow God and dedicate my whole life to him and what is it all about. So I, I come back and crusade meetings were happening for 18 months. Once a month, uh, a church in, in Oklahoma would send the pastor there, had this vision of going to St. Petersburg for 18 months and holding these big meetings in one of the big sports arenas. So when I came back to St. Petersburg, my sister told me about it. I said, do you want to go? I was like, yeah. And I mean, we were already, you know, I was a ninth grader. Uh, I was 14, so traveled around city confidently. So we would go. Every time they had a meeting, once a month, we would go to those meetings. And they did altar calls and things like this. And, you know, and I did say you know, prayer of salvation, even though I do believe that salvation happened earlier to me. They were talking about that they had a Bible school, that you could go to Bible school. So in the fall, my sister, being who she is and spunky and uh, taking initiative, signed up at the Bible school. <laughs> my whole family was terrified, <laughs> especially when they asked to fill up some application. My family was absolutely terrified. Who are these Americans asking you to fill up this form, who you are and what you are? I mean, everybody's still kind of scared. After my sister started going to this Bible school, my mom went to Bible school. <laughs> 
and I followed <laughs> them into Bible school. So that whole year, so I started like in the fall, uh, we started going to the Bible school. It was every day for four hours, from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Every day. I was still in school. <laughs> My school grades kind of went down that year. <laughs> but I was going to this Bible school, and a lot of questions got answered. And I met a lot of people who taught good biblical foundations. And I was very, very thankful to be able to go to Bible school taught by, it was mostly, it was, it was all missionaries. It was all people from that church coming and, you know, settling in St. Petersburg and teaching. And that's also the time when I picked up a lot of English. My mom that year hired a tutor for me and my sister. And also going to those Bibles, the Bible school, four hours a day and listening English for four hours a day. I mean, in a year, I was, I mean, it was amazing how God can just do things. And I met people who are following God and having interesting lives. <laughs> so these questions, like, if I follow God, will my life be boring? I mean, I saw, I was like, no, it's not boring. Look at these guys. I, I love what they do. And they started a church, and we started going to church, and um, they continued to, you know, teach us in the Word. We had some really amazing people come and teach. I was so thankful for people. I mean, it really broadened my whole world. I realized that, like, a lot of us would grow up with some certain superstitions, and I realized that they are just superstitions because I was like, well, here's these people who don't follow, you know, don't eat off a knife because you'll be angry, you'll be a mean person. Don't whistle in the house because you will have no money. <laughs> I had some very serious superstitions in Russia. Don't whistle in the house. You will have no and I was like, well, wait a minute. I heard them whistling in the house, and they're obviously not very poor. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I mean, those kind of things, when you suddenly realize that not everything is solid truth, that you have to really check it and you know, compare it with things. So when that church started a church in St. Petersburg, that was really great because we could go to the same church with the same teachers that taught us. And I was so blessed to have amazing youth pastors who came to Russia and who are still in Russia, raised all of their family in Russia, and they're still in Russia. Unfortunately, they are not in St. Petersburg anymore, but we still keep in touch, and they have played an amazing part in my life. They really took us young people very seriously. and. Um, taught us a lot and um, involved us in all kinds of ministry and uh, really invested. And I'm, so I'm looking at all of my friends that I grew up, you know, Christian, in a Christian way grew up with, and they're still my friends. And it was great because this year, this couple finally, after maybe 10 years, were passing through St. Petersburg for just a day. <laughs> they wrote me like in April or May or March, and they said, we're going to be in St. Petersburg for a day, basically from 2 p.m. till 10 p.m. <laughs> they were flying from some conference, and the airline just rerouted them through St. Petersburg. And I said, oh, you're just unfortunately going to have a big layover in St. Petersburg. And they said, yes. <laughs> so it was great because I was able to go pick them up, bring, my, bring them home, get all of our friends together, and we just had a big reunion. And, I mean, some of these people I haven't seen for years, but... You know, when you share something amazing together, you are always a family. I remember how this couple, they talked to us, and they said, guys, you still have something really amazing that not a lot of people have. I mean, they have invested into us so much, and they taught us serious things. 
that I am who I am in a big way because of that. So I think we have maybe about five minutes if you have any questions that you want to ask. What about your dad? He went to church. Yeah, my mom and dad then later divorced when I was 19. You know, him being a military guy, and um, when we returned to Russia, he got stationed like about three hour, about three hours from St. Petersburg. And my mom really wanted to be home. So he was kind of alone there. And so he met a woman. So they got separated, they, they divorced. And for a number of years, he kind of disappeared from our radars. But he's kind of back on the radar, at least. And um, when, I had to, when we had to go to Moscow a couple of times for my green card, I actually got to see him there and visit with him. At least he is realizing that he was wrong and trying to cut us out. Yeah, yeah. Mike moved to Russia in 2000 to start this charity organization. I was, um, at that time, like a couple of, a couple of years, 99 and 2000, I was working for a missionary who was like the only remaining missionary in our church, and I was kind of like her personal interpreter slash companion. But she was moving out of Russia, going to Denmark. So she was kind of transitioning out of Russia, and I started looking for another job. My goal was not a Christian company. <laughs> and a well-established company. I wanted to work in a well-established company and not a Christian company. So I was looking, I went to some interviews, uh, some places, apparently they didn't like me, some places I didn't like. At the same time, I was kind of having some odd jobs. That wasn't, I wasn't really pressed for money at that time. I mean, it's not like I had a, a lot, but I, we had enough. And so after about a month or two of searching for a job and not really finding anything, I felt like God told me just to come down and just, you know, not look for anything for a while, just be at peace. Uh, I was a part of a dance group then, and we would go once a month to this church, Street Cry, for their worship night. And so we would go to that church, Street Cry, led by John Russell. And I've known John Russell since ever he came to St. Petersburg. He's already been there for like 10 years by then, or close to 10 years. And I've known him ever since he came. And so we were at this worship night, and at the end of the worship night, I just happened to stand somewhere very close to him where he suddenly turns to me and says, Olga, you're still looking for a job. And I'm like, I didn't know you knew that I was looking for a job. <laughs> but, you know, in Christian world, everybody knows each other. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> he said, well, there is this uh, guy that just recently moved, and they opened their organization, and they're looking for a secretary, interpreter. Is it okay if I give them your phone number? It's like, sure. I ended up calling Mike myself. I called him. I said, can you give me his number? I just want to go ahead and call and find out what it's all about if I should pursue it. So I called Mike, and we talked. And, uh, he, and the rest is history. And the rest is history, yes. <laughs> Did you like me right off? <laughs> That was an excellent answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was... Um, you married a smart man. <laughs> <laughs> he is smart. <laughs> I'm learning more and more about that. <laughs> um, well, I remember that I may not say that I was immediately drawn to him, 
though when we started working together, I could tell that I'm drawn to him. At first, I was kind of like terrified. <laughs> I was like, and I remember we were sitting somewhere eating, and I was thinking, he's going to be my husband. I just think that. <laughs> and I was like, really? <laughs> I mean, to tell you the truth, I get attached to people easily, so I was very actively trying not to like him and <laughs> not to get attached. That was my job to do. Like, like you just work here, so you just work. <laughs> so it was like actually Mike who made the first step where I was like, oh, hmm. So is your mom and dad still here? Yep. My mom was here 10 years ago. <laughs> Well, my mom, you know, is a strong Christian herself now, so so she's very much in favor of what is happening. Uh, my dad, uh, it's hard to tell what he's thinking. <laughs> I think he's happy as long as I'm happy. <laughs> and uh, oh, you mean my grandfather or my father? My grandfather. Uh, my grandfather really liked Mike, though. I think when we got engaged, he told Mike, said, 10 years ago, I would have been shot for just talking to you. <laughs> Which is true. And now he was going to have one in his family. No, my, my grandparents were really happy. I mean, they saw what was happening. They were just afraid that nothing would come out of it. I remember my grandmother thinking that your mother didn't really like me for some reason. When, I, when she first met you, she thought, yeah, Mike is fine, but I don't think his mom likes it. <laughs> of course, that was just her observation based on nothing. <laughs> hey, would you uh, pray for us in Russia? Спасибо тебе, Господь, за то, что ты действуешь во всех нас, Господь, что ты посылаешь свои благословения, что ты объединяешь нас в одну семью, в Твое Царство, Господь. И спасибо, что Ты пришел и Ты собрал, Господь, народ свой от, от севера, от юга, от запада, от востока. Ты сделал из них себе народ святой, людей, взятых в удел, Господь, чтобы возвещать Твои дела, Господь, чтобы возвещать Твое Царство. И я прошу Тебя, чтобы Ты просто назидал свою церковь во всех уголках этого мира, чтобы Твоя церковь была истинно Твоим Царством, Твоим народом, единым народом, который едины с Тобой в мыслях, Едино с тобой в целях, Господь. И я просто благодарю тебя за то, что ты сходишь, как, а, как могучий ветер, как огонь поедающий, который очищает себе свой народ и который рев, ревнует о своем народе. Спасибо тебе, Господь. Ревнуя о своем народе, Господь, очищай его, объединяй его в своей силе, в своей, в своей славе, в своем могуществе, Господь. Являйся через них могущественно и сильно, Господь, и действуй через твой народ чтобы Твой народ, Господь, стоял в Тебе и знал, что Ты его Бог, и что они не поколеблются, потому что Ты Бог, и что им нечего бояться, и что они исполняют Твою волю. И если они исполняют Твою волю, то ничто не может противостоять им, Господь. Спасибо Тебе за это. Аминь.